Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to rewatch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm excited to tell you about Drip Drop. They are an electrolyte powder developed by a doctor to treat dehydration. It works super fast, has three times the electrolytes and half the sugar of sports drinks. Try it before a run, after a workout, or I've been doing the sauna recently. It is a great, great treat after that 40 to 50 minutes of sweating. So go to DripDrop.com and use the code WORDS to get 20% off your purchase. That's DripDrop.com and use the code WORDS. I love this stuff so much. Try it. You will not be sorry. Now, here's the show. Hello, everybody. How are you? I'm Ray Harkins. We are hanging out on this beautiful podcast, 100 Words or Less. And man, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I am exhausted. It's mostly mentally. The, you know, starting a new job, it's rough. But hold on. You are coming here to talk about independent music. Obviously, that's why you downloaded this thing. That's why you're listening to it, streaming it, whatever. Maybe it's a couple years in the future. Maybe it's like, you know, 2022 and you're like, hey, I'm going to check out this episode from 2019, (laughs) which is just wild, but it's awesome. Mike Score is the guest this week. He's the vocalist from All Out War, which is 
I mean, they're, I would put them in the legendary status of like, you know, pioneers of metal, hardcore, hybrid, metalcore, whatever you want to call it, but they're heavy, they're pissed. And, uh, I remember buying their, uh, you know, for those who are crucified, I think if I'm not mistaken on, uh, on victory and just, just falling in love with it immediately. It was like, dude, what's up with these guys? I've actually never seen them, uh, upon further reflection after I did this interview with Mike, but, um, just a really, really good band. So I had to have Mike on because, uh, yeah, they, they put out a new record, so you should uh, check that out as well. But, um, let's talk about brand merch, please. Rockabilia.com is the only place that you need to go in order to buy your band merch. They have hoodies, long sleeves, whatever it is you are into, they've got it. And it's fast shipping, great customer service, everything you could possibly want and more, including it's all officially licensed. It's not some horrible bootleg because man, that stuff sucks, right? I've definitely fallen victim to it. Like, you know, buy a bootleg, wash it once, boom. It's like the worst screen ever. It all, it all fades out and you're just like, man, this is a nightmare. And then, you know, in the back of your head, you're like, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure this is a bootleg. I'm pretty sure this is not what I wanted. And then plus the band doesn't get paid for it, which is terrible. So go to rockabilia.com, use the code PC Jabberjaw. That gets you 10% off and boom, there you go. Loving it. Uh, what else do I got to tell you? Well, first of all, the, the downloads have been going very, very well in the show recently, which that means you are spreading the word. And I appreciate that because that's the only way that this thing is uh, getting to the appropriate people's ears. So rate the podcast and whatever podcast catcher you are using, whether it's Apple podcasts or overcast or whatever it is you're using, just, just rank it. You know, when I say rank it, like, you know, give it a rating, like, you know, five stars or whatever, whatever you're feeling, just tell people about that show on that platform. And then also subscribe because that way you are getting all of the new episodes delivered directly to your phone or whatever it is you're using to listen to this thing on because that uh, all that stuff helps the show. And frankly, it helps other people find out about their show, which is that's that's the whole thing I'm doing. That's not the whole reason I'm doing this, but I just want the people to care about this thing to be exposed to it. Okay, got it. All right. Um, next week is a big one. The seven year anniversary of this podcast, which is Absolutely crazy to say out loud, but seven years is next week, and man, we got a we got a real fun chat for you. We, I, <laughs> the, the royal we, as it were, because you know you're even though you're just maybe a listener of the podcast, like you're contributing in some way, shape, or form, right? Maybe maybe you're interacting with the advertisers, or I don't know what you're doing, but um, yeah, that's what we're hap- what's happening next week, and I'm also gonna change like some music. There'll be a lot of a lot of changes next week, which will be fun. Uh, so Mike score, like I said, is a vocalist for all at war upstate New York, hardcore legends as it were. And Mike was such a great chat. I really enjoyed getting to know him a bit and, um, yeah, just kind of sharing in some of the commonalities that, uh, him and I had, I mean, I've for whatever reason, like taken, always played a lot of shows up in the upstate New York area and spent a decent amount of time in like Syracuse and Buffalo and played some shows in Albany. And every time I played up in those areas. It was always great. Like played Rochester. Uh, I don't think I've ever actually played Poughkeepsie, but, um, yeah, it was great. And like, honestly, every show that I've played in, you know, downtown New York city, Manhattan proper, uh, hasn't been very good. <laughs> and so I was always, uh, really excited to play shows around New York that weren't in Manhattan, but anyways, that's what we're doing here. And here is Mike. And I will talk to you, of course, after the episode is over and let you know about what's happening next week for our seventh anniversary. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. So yes, here we go.
you know, I'm 38 years old, raised in the Southern California area. And so my first exposure to you guys was, um, you know, basically once you put out, you know, for those who were crucified were on, on victory. And, um, you know, by that time I was like a total tried and true victory kid of, you know, strife, earth crisis, snap case, dead guy, all that stuff. And, you know, it struck me where listening to what you guys were doing was very much like, like, oh yeah, obviously it's the, you know, the, the collision of metal and hardcore, like, you know, a lot of, not a lot, but like bands, like, you know, ringworm integrity. And then now, like, I guess in more modern times, like a band like power trip lies right in between both of those worlds where you're never home in each of, <laughs> you're never home at a metal show or you're never home at a hardcore show, you know? Um, I, I presume it's one of those things as you've watched your band evolve over time and playing to different audiences. Um, is that always kind of just the way that it has been for you where it's like, Oh yeah, we're, you know, we can play all these different bills, but we're never fully like making sense in one or the other. Uh, and then you guys obviously don't care because you continue to create the music that you do. Um, I just wanted to see how that kind of like, you know, <laughs> what your view on that was. Oh, I mean, I mean, that's perfect. I mean, that's how it's been since the beginning of the band. We've, we've always played in both scenes, you know, and we don't really consider ourselves part of either scene either. So right. it would make sense that people are sort of confused on where we fit in. You know, I mean, we recently played with with Death Angel and the night before that we played a hardcore show or a whatever you want to call it show in Canada in um where were we? Calgary. So we we played, you know, both shows and we you know, we're laughing amongst ourselves about, wow, we didn't really fit in on either one of these shows. Sure. You know, I mean but we do what we do, you know, and it's been that way for a long time and we'll, we'll keep it that way for a long time. Sure. Well, I, and I think a lot of that has to do and, and tell me what you think of this, where, you know, a lot of people that straddle both scenes, you know, and when I say straddle, it's like you said, you're not, you know, you, you're not intending to kind of be delivered to one or the other, but uh, you know, usually you get kind of your, your first taste of music, whether you're a metal kid or a hardcore kid, and then your taste starts to evolve and you start to go to shows of different, genres um but people from a categorical perspective always have to place you in one or the other um but you know it's never black or white it's always that that gray area where yes of course a band like sick of it all is considered a hardcore band but you know at one point they were being pushed towards being a metal band or whatever and so you know it's kind of just the i guess maybe it's the ethics or the you know the way that you approach like being in a band as opposed to the sort of sound that you i guess have ultimately Right. I would say this. Musically, we are definitely influenced more by metal, without a doubt. I mean, when the music I draw my influences for, like, especially when we sit down to write music, is coming from the metal world. Lyrically, a little bit of both, you know, um, but as far as the ethics, we've always been drawn to the DIY side of the hardcore world. You know, that's always been our, uh, I guess our, our connection to the hardcore world. Sure. Yeah. That is, makes sense. Is the ethics. Sure. You know, we've always, we've always, you know, been drawn to that. We've always liked the community aspect of hardcore, 
you know, and, and I think that's, that's our connection there. Totally. Yeah. I think I, I mean, I, for many years, I worked at Century Media Records, you know, signing bands and doing that stuff. And, you know, I came from the hardcore scene and played in hardcore bands. And I, I definitely didn't, I knew that division obviously existed just by attending shows, but then understanding the mentality of like your tried and true average metalhead fan, um, you know, or band from that perspective that didn't have the DIY component attached to it, where it was like, you know, I'll never forget. I'm not going to name the band, but like the moment they started to like tour in the States, they thought that they obviously deserved, you know, like seven buses and like, you know, and I was like, no, what are you talking about? Like you tour in a van, right? Like you don't, you're not making that much money. So why would you tour in a bus? You can't afford that. Right. Well, I would, I would think that that was probably a European band because you're really treated a lot different in Europe, (laughs) especially, you know, when we first started going to Europe, we were, we were shocked that you get a bus. We we had no idea we were going to get a bus. Right. You know, it was like, wow, we're, we're used to driving around and, and vans, the axles are breaking in, you know, and all of a sudden we get a bus. Well, you must not know who we are, but cool, we'll take it. <laughs> totally. Well, I think a lot of that too is just the safety issue where it's like, oh yeah, like a lot of times you clearly have no idea where you're going and, you know, you need a person to make sure that you don't die on these, you know, ridiculously treacherous mountain roads or whatever. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so kind of putting the focus on you as a person, um, were you born and raised in the upstate New York area or where did you kind of come up? I was born and raised in upstate New York. I'm still here. Uh, never going to leave here. I love, uh, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. I, what, um, you know, cause most people that have the experience like you of being able to compare and contrast, different areas when you've come through on tour and stuff like that, I guess what, um, beyond the familial connections and, you know, the fact that you've lived there for so long, what draws you back to that area more than anything else? Well, I guess, you know, and I can, I can tie this into music too. I guess what draws me or keeps me here is, well, I mean, a lot of things, but if I'm going to talk about music, I mean, I grew up in an area where there really was no real scene. So I was close. I'm close enough to New York City where I could go to shows there. And I can always experience New York City, even even without, you know, music aside, I can go to New York City if I want to. It takes, you know, 45 minutes on the train. If I, if I want to go to New York City, I can go there. If I... If I want the peace and quiet of upstate New York, well, I have that too. Because we're we're sort of in like this weird no man's land in between, in between New York City and Albany. Sure. So I mean, so I mean, you have you have the quietness of of where we are, but at any time, you know, it's not that big of a hassle to go to the city either. Totally. So I guess that's one one thing that I re- I really enjoy about the area. Right. Like you're a stone's throw away from, you know, clearly one of the biggest cities in the world, but you can disconnect to where you're like, I don't need New York for about a month or two. Like, let me just chill out here. You hit it on the head. Exactly. Okay. I can disconnect from the, I, I can, you know, if, if I wanted to be, I, I could be like a total, like off the grid, like, Hey, I'm just going to hide up here and no one's going to find me. 
I could totally do that if I wanted to. Or, you know, I could always be in the city. I mean, when I was younger, I was always in the city. I always was going to the city for shows or just to hang out. And now I find myself, as I get older, going to the city less and less. Sure. Yeah, you have more reasons to stay there than, you know, try to find activity in the city or whatever. So, yeah, that makes sense. Um, And what was your, you know, like I guess what was your family structure like? Brothers and sisters, you know, mom and dad in the house. What did that look like? I have one sister, you know. Mom and dad. You know, Got it. So yeah, very, uh, uh, I guess, uh, idyllic suburban uh, upraising. Right. Sure. Um, and what we, what did your uh, parents do for, I guess, a trade or job or anything like that? Were they, you know, involved in, uh, you know, industry teaching? What did they do? My father was a um, health inspector for, for the state. So okay. he basically, you know, you know, um, environmental issues, things like that. And sure. my mother was a stay at home mom. Nice. Nice. So she had, and you are, are you the oldest of the, you and your sister or are you the youngest? No, I'm, I'm the youngest. Got it. So you were the, uh, you were the spoiled baby as they, as they say. No. <laughs> sure. Well, that's what she thinks. <laughs> that's I'm sure what she thought. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, and what kind of kid, you know, as you started to develop an identity and, you know, go to junior high and high school and all that sort of stuff, um, you know, who kind of were you? Were you like a sports kid? You know, did you care about school? Like, what what, what did you look like? Very quiet. Um, did not care about school. Did You know, didn't really fit in anywhere. Sort of uh, a loner, I guess you'd say. Uh, you know, I, I just, I found... I found a home in in the in music, you know. I could I connected with music. I could hide away with music, you know. That was basically it. Got it. You know, it's I. You know, the strange thing is, I I as a kid wanted nothing to do with school, and here I am. You know, I, I'm a history teacher. Right. <laughs> yeah. Irony there. So I mean. <laughs> And what did, what did you, um, like, like you said, you know, you're quiet and you kind of, you know, kept to yourself. Was it, you know, you were kind of, you know, building these sort of, you know, imaginary worlds and like, you know, were you into, you know, sci-fi and fantasy? Were you like reading a lot? Did you like drawing or you were basically, were just like, I'm just trying to find my tribe, so to speak. Just trying to find my tribe. Like I, I really, I enjoyed sports. I played sports, you know, as a kid, especially in, in junior high, but I never fit in with those kids at all. You know, so I, I played, you know, I, I liked sports, especially, you know, baseball. I really enjoyed baseball, but I just didn't fit in with the herd. You know, it wasn't my thing. And, it, and after a while, I just realized, you know, this is, this is, not a place where I fit in at all. Sure. So I sort of drifted away from that. And, you know, I just started to really get into music. I mean, I always liked music at a, at a young age. I mean, my father listened to, like, I remember, you know, the Bob Dylan desire album. I loved that record as a kid. I still do now. And, um, from there, I just started to like get into more aggressive stuff. And, and then it just became like collecting music and reading music magazines and, and stuff like that. And opened up my, opened me up to a whole new world, you know, which is fantastic. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. There's nothing that's more exciting than when you start to feel like you have that control and authorship over your own music taste where you're like, Oh yeah. Like I like Bob Dylan, but then I also, you know, 
I don't, uh, I don't know what the Slayer band is. Like, what's, what's up with this? Or, you know, you start to experiment and see what that means to you. Right, right, definitely. And who was kind of the, um, you know, because usually people have like either friends or older siblings or kind of, you know, uh, and I don't use this word like in a bad way, like gatekeepers who help you kind of usher through, um, you know, kind of giving you mixtapes or whatever. Um, did you have any of those people in your life or was this like you really just kind of taking steps in the dark and figuring out, you know, what these, what these bands were that you enjoy? I think a little bit of both. I mean, there was a lot of guy, older guys that, that went on the bus, you know, <laughs> you know, that, sure. that, uh, had Iron Maiden jackets or, or whatever. And there were a lot of like local bands. And I remember, you know, there were, there were these older guys that had, had this band called Demoniac, which was really great. You know, to me at the time was really great, you know, and then there was a, a local band called Primeval that actually, you know, they went on to do some things. I think they're, they're even still together today. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just kind of got into that stuff. And then there was, there was an older guy that was friends with, one of my friends, older brothers, and he started taking us to shows. Like we would just tag along, you know, they would all go. And this guy had a, a, a station wagon and we used to get into the back of the station wagon. You know, all of us guys that were like, you know, 12 and 13 or whatever, we would get in the back of the station wagon and we'd be in the back and those guys would be in the front and we'd go all over to shows like, uh, you know, city gardens and Trenton, which is no longer at Lamore you know, all sorts of places we would go to shows and it was, you know, like I said, it was just a whole new world, man. It was great. Sure. Sure. And did your, um, you know, did your mom and dad, like, as you started to bring home the, you know, (laughs) the adventures of what you were going on to going to all these shows and traveling and seeing all these bands, um, were your parents ever, I guess, concerned like, Oh no, Mike's getting into this, you know, really heavy stuff that we don't understand. Uh, how, how are we going to bring them back? Like, was there any concern with that? Well, I, I think at first there there definitely was, you know, especially. Well, you know, it was weird though. Now that I now that I'm thinking back, like I remember, like, or I don't remember much of a backlash with a lot of the Slayer stuff and and Venom. But I went to see. I actually went to see Nuclear Assault and Broken Bones was opening, and I bought this shirt. And it had the word shit on the back of it. And I'll never forget, like, I had it. I, I was probably 14. I had the shirt. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm walking through the living room, and I just feel a hand just grab the shirt and just rip it off my back. All because of the word shit. Now, I've been wearing, like, hella weight shirts, keep in mind, this whole time, and Venom shirts, and, you know, no, no, no push back at all and then that one word set my father off and and then after that we we got a really huge fight about it and then things just kind of settled down with my father that was letting me go to cbgb's at like 15 years old you know from upstate new york i he'd drop us off at the bus station you know <laughs> which was really funny because you know in the 80s he's letting us go to the lower yeah, the east side of Manhattan, <laughs> yeah. which was like nothing like what it is now you know it was fucking mess back then and he and you know for somebody that had such a problem with the broken bone shirt he uh he was pretty look the other way on that so sure strange strange things from my adolescence well that no i I really appreciate that story because i think it it shows 
that, you know, especially once parents, and I'm sure you've experienced this to a certain extent that, you know, once you're a parent and you start to see your kids get into things that, um, it's not even, it doesn't have to be threatening, but just like, you don't understand, like you don't have a context for that's when you start to go, huh, I wonder about that. But like the moment that you're your dad sees the word shit. He's like, I understand that my kid should not be wearing the word shit on his shirt. This is going out of the, out of here. Right. <laughs> right. That's so that funny. he could, that he, and, and I'll, I'll and I have another story. And I don't even know why I would show him this. And I can't remember off the top of my head if it was DRI dealing with it or cryptic slaughter, but you know how like fans don't really do this anymore, but, but back in the day, in on vinyl, bands used to etch things oh, like yeah. as you got closer yep. into the center. Mm-hmm. And one of the records was what it, it said, What are you looking at, Dick Nose? And for <laughs> some reason, I thought it was hilarious. And I thought I should show my father, who didn't think it was even as close to as funny as I thought it was. But I thought it was hilarious. Anyway, so that was my two the, the Dick Nose thing and the shit on the back of the shirt. But you no. Know, yeah, yeah. Venom, <laughs> no problem. No problem. Yeah, you know, black black metal. Venom, no problem. Yeah, right. All that stuff, no no issues there. But those two things, and I think you're exactly right. He he got that. You know, he like the other stuff. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really really small. Like man, that parking space, it's always taken, and I wish that I would be able to like get it. Instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.
my simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Was sort of like hidden symbolism to him maybe or just whatever, rock and roll, whatever. And then that stuff was a little bit too... uh, too too much in your face. Yep, sure. No, totally. <laughs> I love, I also like that, that story that you just shared is such a, what I like to call kid logic. Cause you know, in your head, you're like, dude, this is so funny. Like they put dick nose on this and like, you know what? My dad's kind of a funny guy. Like we can share this moment of humor <laughs> that right. you show it to him and it's like, Oh, I miscalculated this. I'm sorry. This is funny right. to me and well, not you. <laughs> Yeah, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> no, that's beautiful. Um, and it also, uh, if I'm not mistaken, because I've only been through uh, your town and area just a couple times on tour, but um, there's that record store, Rock Fantasy, right? Like in that general area? Rock only- Fantasy. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And that, like, I mean, when I stepped into that store, it, it, it felt like, uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but like it felt like such a flashback to where that store you know, it's changed and evolved and obviously they, you know, they have, you know, they sell DVDs and stuff like that now, but you know, it definitely felt like there was a component of it that was very much like, Hey, if you want to get into the, you know, counterculture, you know, left of center stuff, like you got to come here. Uh, I I'm imagining that was like a huge store for you because being in that general. Oh area. yeah. Okay. Right. I, I went there all the time. I I still go there all the time. I, you know, I'm friends with Steve, the owner. He's actually sponsoring our uh, record release show for this record. Nice. You know, I mean, everybody, everybody from this area, that was their place, you know? And I mean, when, when we actually had a scene, that was the epicenter, you know, that was it. I mean, that was the place. Everybody met at that place. You know, you, you met up there and then you went to the shows because Middletown actually used to have like quite a few venues. Like they had this venue called um, the Rock Palace, which I am not exaggerating when I say that it is probably the size of the average middle class homes living room you know it was so small it didn't have a stage but like creator and coroner played there and i i remember thinking creator must be so bumped like i don't know how they because this was an 89 you know when creator was already well past that you know but but besides that so they had creator sepultura played there um but at the same time underdog played there sick of it all played there token entry played there and it was like a stone throw from rock fantasy. So, I mean, you would go rock fantasy, you would buy records and then you'd walk over to the show. And a lot of those shows were on Sundays, which is perfect. And then there was another place that predates that, uh, called the grunge club, which was basically just, if you remember driving to rock fantasy, which I don't know if you do, there's like a million, like old warehouses going, going up to it. And there was a, a room in the warehouse called the grunge club and like sheer terror played there. The, the, uh, are you familiar with where the wild things are? Yeah, of course. The compilation. The comp, yeah, yeah. The, the picture of Paul laying on the, 
on the the ground on the back that was taken at the grunge club nice nice in middletown new york so uh yeah you can make yeah can, i mean you can make a great sunday afternoon like you said just go to go record shopping and then you know go to the show and there you go whole day yeah i i mean i i rock fantasy holds a lot of great memories for me like a lot of records that i bought came from there you yeah. know because it was it was like there was the mall and you could obviously get whatever there, but if you wanted your underground stuff, that's where you went. Totally. Totally. No, that's, that's cool. I I like that. And I I think that especially for, you know, so many scenes in that, you know, particular uh, area, not only in New York, but you know, ones that are just kind of like off the beaten path, but that, you know, you're like maybe an hour or two outside of a major city there's such this, this burgeoning, um, you know, whatever you call it, B market (laughs) tour, uh, or, or cities that, you know, have such a rich, uh, interest in, you know, all of the, you know, metal hardcore and all that stuff. And it's like, it's this, this, you know, this weird hodgepodge of all these interests and all these kids that exist there. And some can go in the city like you were able to, and then some can't, but it builds up this weird scene that, you know, might just be last for a couple of years, but then some, like you said, you know, with rock fantasy and the fact that, you know, many different bands have kind of come from your general area. Um, can only help can only be fostered by that like you said that that you know point of entry being you know a really cool record store or a comic book store or whatever the case may be right yeah um and so it, it, it struck me that that your your general area like you know i mean like you mentioned kind of a lot of the shows that you were going to um a lot of it was, was really rooted in, you know, metal. And that was kind of your first experience. And like you said, a lot of the records you were buying. Um, and as you started to kind of understand the, you know, DIY, you know, component of what hardcore brought to the table, um, did that, uh, was it just kind of the idea of you being able to do something without asking permission that was of interest to you? Or was there something else that kind of sparked that? Like, Oh, here, I noticed a difference between those two. Um, you're, you're asking me the difference between metal and hardcore yeah, or just how like I for, got into hardcore. Just, yeah. Just like when you recognize that there was a distinct difference between those two scenes, even though sonically it might kind of be similar. Well, I, you know, I remember buying, you know, Cro-Mags age of quarrel and not realizing that it was, especially being from upstate New York and being this young, not even realizing that it was, I knew it sounded different, but it was still just metal to me. You know, Agnostic Front was metal to me until I started going to shows. And then I started seeing like, you know, skinheads and I started seeing like different shirts. And then I started going to like crossover shows. And really it was like going to those, like I I saw, I went, you know, to see Creator, but DRI played, you know, and then I went to see nuclear assault and broken bones played and stuff like that. And then I just started being like, Oh, what is, what is this stuff? And, um, and then I started just realizing, wow, these shows, you can be like so up close and, you know, there's no separation between the bands and the crowd, you know, and that's what really drew me to hardcore. And then lyrically, it was so different. Lyrically, it was saying something and it was, it was like relatable and it was things that I was going through and, and the connection came. And then I started to obviously realize, well, there's lyrically, there's different how, how these shows go down 
it's different. There's no, no barriers. You know, it, you're, you're buying t-shirts from the guys in the band, not, you know, some roadie, you know, so that was cool. I could ask them questions, you know, I could, and, and, you know, as like a kid looking to belong somewhere, hardcore was, was very much like something that you could grab hold of. Sure. So, you know, I like, I, I always liked the metal stuff, you know, especially sonically. I always liked the metal stuff, but the hardcore scene itself was, was very, it felt like very accepting. Not that, not that I didn't feel accepted in the, in the metal world, but it was like, it, it was just different, you know, it was totally different. And like I said, then I then I went from CBGBs, and I discovered the the Anthrax in Connecticut, which was not that far. And again, like this location was perfect because, especially for hardcore, because I could go to CBGBs, I could go to the Anthrax, and then they had stuff going on in Albany where you know the colleges were putting on shows, and then you know New Paltz, New York, where I live now, the college is right here. And, um, they were putting on shows. Like I saw Murphy's law in the, in the student union building, you know, I saw, you know, like, uh, you know, there's a song on the SOD record, uh, Pi Alpha Nu, which is about this town, you know? And so I could go to DIY shows here. And, and then all of a sudden it just became much more convenient to go to hardcore shows because they, because you discovered, wow, these things are popping up in people's basements. Sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. Where metal shows, you know, you you had to go, and it was. And don't get me wrong, like like I said, the metal shows were great too because they were they were an event, but hardcore was becoming much more accessible to me. Sure. You know, it made and, it real to you, right? Like, yeah, because right, right. Those like you said, all of those things, you know, can be they're entertaining and they're awesome, but they don't, a lot of times they don't feel, um, you know, tangible to a kid, especially if you're like, Oh, you know, like whatever, every kid sees Metallica and is like, Oh yeah, I want to play in a band. But you're like, wow, that's like a million miles away. Whereas like, if you see a person playing a garage, you're like, Oh, that's like a mile away. <laughs> so yeah, I totally understand. Right. And, I, and I think hardcore also showed me, wow, I can be in a band, you know, where metal, it was like, wow, this is great, but I can't do that. But hardcore, yeah, I can. You do know, that. it was much more. Yeah, I, wow, like you know, these people are all just hanging out. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, and so, I mean, cl- clearly, like when you started to, you know, see this more real thing right in front of you, were you immediately taken by the fact that you like wanted to play in a band? Um, you know, where did that kind of? I mean, because All Out War probably wasn't the very first band that you played in, or was it? Um, I mess around with, with my friends, you know, where I, I would play bass, you know, and then, then I, um, sang a little bit in some bands that, you know, were really just basically like trying to be raw deal or something like that, that never really left the basement. And then what happened was there was this local band called AWOL and which basically morphed into all out war. And AWOL was the local band and they needed a singer to play like their final show because something happened with their singer. So, you know, I said, well, I'll do it, but you know, I got these ideas for some other songs. So let's sort of mess with that. And when we sort of, you know, had destined to burn, which was the first all out war song, but was also actually the last AWOL song. And we played there last song our last show i mean 
And um, right around that time, Chris from Marauder had just moved to Newburgh. So he had just, he was still in Marauder. And so he still had those connections and he moved and, and I never forget the night we, we met him. We were at some like typical suburban, like a uh, keg party and, uh, and they, the party got broken up by the cops. Like all parties up here always did. And I see this guy running from the police. Cause everybody was running. We were in the car and he had a DMS jacket and we were familiar with all of that stuff. And we just said, Hey, you, you jump in because we had a car to get away from you know the, the craziness sure and then all of a sudden it was like wow we started talking about music and he was the guitar player for marauder and and all of a sudden boom we just started writing music with him too and then a wall morphed into all out war and got it i guess that was the long way to get no that's that. the gen- yeah, yeah the genesis of it all and were you uh, did you sing for a wall because I, I didn't know if you were that I I sang one one show their last show. Okay, their last. Just wanted to make sure. It's so like you were were you ever attracted to you know another instrument where you ever like oh I want to try drums but you know I, I I've got other people. No, I played. Play this. I played. I tried to play guitar a little bit. I, I was I was serviceable with the bass, you know, but um, never drums or anything. Just mess around with guitar and i mean you know i can play fade to black sure stuff like that <laughs> yeah I feel like i got the i got the basic power chords and some some riffs here and there yeah 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 i can do that sure sure um you know and clearly like you know as as all at war started to you know play shows and exist and put out you know music um you know th- there was never especially at that time too in the early 90s there was no notion of a you know hardcore band i mean of course there's a few things that you could point out where it's like, Oh yeah, bands were able to quote unquote make a living or whatever. Um, I'm going to presume that all at war never existed with the idea that like, Oh yes, this is like, you know, we're going to be a full-time hardcore band and like, we're going to do this. Um, or was that kind of the ambitions when you guys first started? To- no, it okay. was never <laughs> like the, we, we thought it was really cool that we were able to play CBGBs, you know, that was, that was huge. Hey, we could have broke up then, <laughs> sure. you know, to us, that was, that was like, wow, this is awesome. And then, you know, and I, I will say, you know, when it started to really not be fun was, you know, on victory. And for for a little while in the, in the late nineties, everybody talked about sound scan. Do you remember that? What were your scan, oh, sound scan numbers? What's your first week? Say it? Yeah, of course. Very much so. Oh, uh, and that was so fucking lame. Like that was like the low point for me. Like I was just like, wow, this sucks, man. I don't want to talk about this shit with anybody. I don't give a fuck about that. I just want to fucking, I'm just, Hey man, I'm just putting off being an adult for a little while. You know, I don't care about, I don't want to be in a competition with anybody. Sure. Sure. Totally. Well, it felt like that. Um, Cause did you, I guess by kind of default, were you sort of the, uh, you know, quote unquote business guy of the band, like booking shows and stuff like that and dealing with the record label. Or was that something that oh, was left with somebody that else? Was me, yeah. Okay. All right. No, no. <laughs> and so I, I imagine because of that, it was, it, as that stuff started to become more serious, it really, um, like you said, it really kind of took the wind out of your sails. Oh, it definitely did. I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't the same. And, and, don't get me wrong. It was always, it was always fun, but then, you know, 
like it was just more more pressure i guess mm-hmm. but it was still fun like i remember those those tours during that time period were great i mean i had a lot of fun on those tours met a lot of great people it's just it started to be a little bit more connected to business and you know that wasn't that wasn't what i was into at all right right yeah like that was not the um the the function of why you played music right right and you, you know, I would say, I mean, this is just from my casual observation, like, you know, basically in the late nineties, you know, after you guys had kind of, you know, come back and put out the record on victory and you started to get tours and stuff like that. That was kind of the most, I guess, active you guys were as far as like a, you know, for lack of a better term, full-time touring band. Is that correct or no? Right. Yeah. That was definitely the most active we were from, and I would even push it because 90, 98, we did a bunch, like we, it seemed like every weekend we, we were playing with Buried Alive or we were playing with Blood for Blood or we were playing with Reach the Sky. You know, every weekend you could find any combination of that bill somewhere. But then right around 99, we really picked it up and started a tour. We did a Buried Alive tour. We did a Turmoil tour. I mean, we were really on the road a lot in 99, 2000, 2001. We were, we were on the road a lot. We did a tour with Dying Fetus, Shadows Fall. Sure. Um, a lot of stuff and i mean and then it everything started to just be just i don't know it just the steam kind of just i don't don't even i can't even explain it and and i kind of i'm not a i'm not a very social guy like i guess that that quietness always has been there Mm -hmm. you know and like I guess like socially awkward, I guess I would say Sure. like, and I just, I needed, I, I didn't really like, I liked the beginning of a tour and I liked the end of a tour and I always <laughs> right. hated the middle of a tour. <laughs> you know, the beginning was great. We're on the road. This is awesome. Hey, let's live like a Viking. And then it was like, wah, 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 another fucking town, another, you know, gotcha dirty clothes you know always around people and i never want to be around people you know and um and then the end was great because it's like okay i got two more weeks to go and then i'd be alone again for a while sure sure no i, I think i mean I, I appreciate you sharing that because i think it's a really um you know when you when you start a band when you start you know going on the road you can understand that you are like you know maybe an introvert or an extrovert and you kind of start to notice how you are in the world, but you know, there's nothing like a tour is not real life. Like, you know, it's the suspended state of animation where you're, like you said, you're traveling like a Viking from town to town. And then, you know, you want to have an option to be able to, you know, for people such as yourself to be able to disconnect and like not be around, you know, not be on top of your fellow four band members, but there's no option to do right. that. So I can see where it would be like, Hey, I got another 20 days of this. Like I can't handle this. Right. Yeah. And and I will totally admit that I I was the wet blanket in the band because those other guys they they could, they could go nonstop and I just I don't know, it just personality-wise I just I just need that I've always needed that time where I'm just alone, you know? Sure. And um you know, like like I said in in the middle it it was always like, "Oh, when is this going to end?" 
Right. Like you, yeah. Like, what is this going to end? Cause I need my break. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and so, you know, I'm guessing that, you know, as you started to kind of get on that wheel of, of touring and you started to feel like this, this cycle kept kind of going in and out, um, that just, you know, weighed on you to where you're like, all right, I, I can't do this anymore. I got to step, step away from it. And that's obviously what caused the band to, you know, basically be inactive for, you know, the, that period of years. Right. I mean, we, I mean, and, and then, you know, Matt, who I'm still really good friends with from Hatebreed was in the band and, you know, Matt really wanted to be on the road and, and go for it. So he, so God bless him. He fell into something much better and bigger for him, you know, because of it, because, you know, he went from, from that into Hatebreed. Totally. Because he, he was actually the touring drummer you know, for all that time. Sure. Sure. So yeah, he was, he was excited to do a more, you know, solid full-time thing than something that was, you know, kind of in and out. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, as you were kind of, you know, doing this touring thing and, you know, trying to, you know, piece those things together, were you, um, I'm guessing that, you know, the, the idea of teaching was always kind of like, you know, in your head, like, were you substitute teaching as you were touring and, you know, cause clearly I'm sure you weren't like living off of the band. Um, so what were you kind of doing on the, the side of the band, so to speak? I was, I was doing this. I was going to school every time the band like wasn't on the road. So I would, I would go like a semester and then I would take off a semester. And while <laughs> I was doing that, I was lucky enough. I was, a. I was a custodian in the, the same school district that I work in now. And what they would, they would always take me back. So I would come back, I would do that. And then I would go to, go to college. And then, you know, the, when the band would go on the road, I would, I would, um, quit my job and then I would, um, not go to school that next semester. And then I would go and, you know, be on the road for, a year or take a year off of school. That's why it took me like 8 million years to get any kind of degree. Um, so that's pretty much how I worked it. And then when we were done in 2001, the only thing I had to do was, um, student teach. And the funny thing is, as soon as I got done student teaching, and as soon as I started teaching for real, uh, all that war started again. You know, so we started playing again, not, we didn't tour, but we did like, you know, we went to Europe, you know, we did, we did a. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. My 
my simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Bunch of things with Ringworm. I remember we did like... On a spring break, I did a tour with Ringworm. I think I did two spring break tours with Ringworm, 2003 and 2004, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. That's funny. So, That's funny. Um, so, yeah, you, it was just always, <laughs> even though you had these other plans, like All at War just kind of always kept popping in where it's like, oh, yeah, I guess we'll do this. Like, yeah, sure, of course. That sounds like fun. Well, that's the, that, that's and that's how it's been, you know, ever since 2001, really. I mean, we just, every once in a while, just, okay, yeah, all right, we'll do this. Let yeah, me call these cool. guys and see if they want to do it. <laughs> all right, we'll do it. Sure. Um, in a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors, Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is kind of, you know, tangential, but something I find really humorous and funny where, um, you know, bands obviously have Wikipedia pages and you know, that, that exists, but sometimes they're more funny than, uh, they're supposed to be. And I think this line in your guys's Wikipedia page is extremely hilarious. So, you know, towards the beginning, I'll, I'll quote it at you because I'm sure you don't stalk your own Wikipedia page, but (laughs) so it's like the band played their first show together in Newburgh, New York at the Hudson Valley skate park in 1991. This is the part that's funny. Um, a riot broke out, resulting in the police intervening, <laughs> which is like, you know, the second sentence in the All Out War Wikipedia page. Um, and I just think that's very funny because whether or not that that's true um, is kind of like, you know, All Out War does get lumped into this, like, you know, whatever, uh, you know, meathead jock, like, you know, we'll beat people up. Not saying that, you know, you guys endorse that uh, behavior or what have you, but you guys have always kind of been tangentially linked to that, like, violent aspect of it. Um, is that something that, you know, obviously you've been aware of, or is that something that you're just like, well, like, yeah, I mean, our shows are violent, but it's not like we're, you know, throwing out, you know, chains into the crowd and asking people to beat each other up or anything. <laughs> 
I mean, you know, we've been connected to that. And it's really funny because, I mean, if you've ever, you know, talked to us or met us, we're, we're not like that at all. I mean, a lot of the craziness happened, like, early on because that was what was going on in in the scene. I mean, it was so stupid, but it, it was really, there was so much, like, I think what happened early on is the shows in New York city were getting violent and people up here wanted to be them. You know what I'm saying? Like there was a lot of like dummies that really wanted to, you know, prove themselves there. So the shows up here were, were really violent, you know? And then who was the band? We were the, you know, it was us. So we, we really got connected to all of that stuff, but the guys in the band, you know, we were, and and don't, don't get me wrong. Like we weren't, you know, totally passive or anything like that. But at the same time, it, it was definitely not something the band was promoting at all. And the funny thing, and in some ways the sad thing is all these years later, we can't, you know, seem to disconnect from that. Like that just follows us. And it's something that, that was a thing so long ago, you know, and it's just one of those, it it just drags and like, you know, we met so many different bands. Like, it's funny that you said that because so many bands expected us to be one way. And then we're totally like, wait a second, you guys aren't like that at all. Turmoil was one of them. You know, sure, like sure. when we tour with Turmoil, and the funny thing about Turmoil too is because we totally expected them to be something that they weren't. We were, we were like, I'll never forget that show. That tour started out in Omaha, Nebraska. So, and I have no idea who routed it that way, but both of us drove all the way to Omaha. So they're like from Pennsylvania, and and the eastern side of Pennsylvania. That so we drove out to Omaha and. It was like one of these strange, like awkward standoffs where we didn't want to talk to them because we thought that they were like totally like, you know, artsy and, you know, straight edge, whatever kind of guys. And they thought we were total goons, you know, so it was like two bands just kind of at the venue sitting in their van, like, because, you know, they didn't know anybody in Omaha and we didn't know anybody in Omaha. So who were we going to talk to? And finally, I, like, I just remember talking <laughs> and then we had a great time with them because we both realized, you know, we were ne- nothing like what we both thought the other was. Right. You, know, so. you were just, yeah, you're just total like, Oh yeah. You're just like total goofballs that, you know, yeah, we play like violent music, but that, that doesn't mean that's like, who we are 24 or seven, you know, 365 days a year. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I think that's to your point, I think the, the best, you know, the, the most important thing you said there is that, you know, bands can exist alongside of these bands that maybe perpetuate that message a little bit more than others. 
but just by sheer, um, you know, uh, by sheer proximity to this, like, you know, bands just get kind of lumped into it. And yeah, I think that that is definitely the case with you. Uh, you know, I mean, of course there are certain things that you you could point to where it's like, Oh yeah, the band's not doing themselves any favors by calling themselves all at war. It's like, well, yeah, but right. you know, but still it's like, you know, yeah. Nuclear assault isn't like, you know, propagating that, you know, every world power needs to have nuclear <laughs> warfare. It's like, that's not what they're saying. <laughs> and I don't do myself any favors because I like when the when the crowd is active, you know, who wants sure. to play to, you know, people just standing there. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to see anybody like, quote unquote, crowd killing either, you yeah. know, which is another bizarre thing that happens today. I mean, I'd much rather have people up front like, you know, with the with the moshing behind the first few rows of people and, and not have like a huge horseshoe because people are afraid to get punched in the head, you know? Totally. Totally. Yeah. I get that. Um, and, and like you mentioned earlier, um, you know, you're, you're a high school history teacher and you've been doing that for quite some time now. Um, there are many people, and I'm sure you maybe experienced this uh, with uh, you know other people that you've kind of met over the years throughout the scenes. There is this correlation between like playing in a band and kind of you know the entertainment aspect of you know getting on stage and being a teacher because um, there are other people who have you know followed that profession that have come from you know the scene that we both come from. Um, have you, I guess, kind of noticed that the the parallels between those two things, or are those are those like two completely separate things in your life that you don't really, you know, they, they both stay in their own lanes. No, they're totally connected. Okay. The best teachers I've found are performance artists. So I'm, I'm the uh, department chair. So it's my job to hire people. And when I'm hiring new people, I want them to come in and do a demo lesson because I want to see, I want to see how they, convey this stuff you know i want to see them put on a show i don't want to see like just buy the book here here you go and i'm going to be very monotone and i'm just going to kind of you know do nothing you know and i'm just going to try to i I want to see personality i want to see you make this stuff come alive because that's what keeps the kids interest and you need to really capture those kids in order to get them to perform because let's face it, you know, we all know what it's like to be in a class with a teacher that's painfully boring, you know, and I, I, without the band, I would never have been able to stand in front of a classroom because like I mentioned earlier, I was really quiet and, you know, very, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, I, I just wasn't very reserved. The band yeah. Help me reserved, reserved, right. There you go. And the band helped me really, you know, break out of that. So that helps me with my job. And look at that. I, I really think that good teachers are performance artists, are people that can put on a show. No, that's a really good way of putting it. I didn't think about it in those terms, but it definitely, um, like you said, especially for people of a certain disposition, uh, you do get, you know, when you get up in front of people just as much as, you know, 
even if it's like, you know, you playing in a band for 10 years, you know, in front of, you know, 40 people over those 10 years, it's still the reps of doing it and understanding that you have to capture, even if it's only five people in the room, you got to try to capture their attention in some capacity. And yeah, I, I, I like how you drew that parallel between, you know, the, or the word that you use of performance artists. Cause yeah, you want to capture a kid's attention and you know, there's no greater practice than, you know, trying to whip a crowd into a, you know, excitement with a sweet mosh part or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and kind of, you know, the last thing I wanted to pick your brain on was the, um, cause you have two kids, two kids. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, clearly as a, you know, teacher, you're always, you know, in front of kids and everything like that. Um, you know, it's kind of a two part question. One, do you know, any kids do the uh, deep Google on you and start to be like, Oh wow. Like, you know, my history teachers in a band called all out war. Um, and then secondly, how do your kids react to the fact that, you know, you play in a band that they probably don't understand and probably don't like, like, you know, how, how do those things kind of live in your life? <laughs> well, the first, uh, the first one I'll, I'll take is, is students, you know, they always, they always think that they got something on me, you know, and sure. the cooler ones are always like score and they'll show me something that they looked up or something they found on YouTube. And they're like, they'll give me the thumbs up and, and, and be like, don't worry. I mean, they would say it, but they're like, you can feel it. They're like, don't worry. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell uh, the principal. <laughs> and it's like, everybody knows, <laughs> you know, it's don't, a lot of not secret. Keeping the secret. everybody, you know, or, you know, they'll always be like, score. I know why you wear long sleeve shirts, even when it's 90 degrees out. It, Cause you know, they'll see the tattoos or, or whatever. And they'll think that that is, that is something that they, that they can, uh, or they got over me or something. And so I always laugh at that. And then, you know, my own kids, this is totally normal for them, especially um, their mother was in Starkweather. So, oh, that's I mean, right. that's they, right. <laughs> I forgot about that connection. So, yeah. Okay. So to them, I mean, this is just totally normal. You know, I, people always ask me stuff like that. And they, they say, well, don't your kids find this weird? And it's like, no, my kids find you weird. You know, like, yeah, like they expect the people world, to play weird. in bands. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I mean, I mean, Michelle, I mean, still plays. And I mean, we're doing it. We actually are in a band together with it's Michelle. She writes all the music mm-hmm. and I sing. And Matt from Hatebreed plays drums. And Mike from Primeval, who we talked about earlier, who was also in Demolition Hammer for a little bit. Sure. He plays guitar. So for my kids, this is just, the world this is just life right you i i totally forgot about that connection between yeah your wife playing in stark weather um but yeah it makes sense where you know the the fact that your kids see both both parents active within their artistic life and then their other friends are like wait doesn't wait none of your parents play in a band that's weird yeah (laughs) your parents don't have tattoos that's strange (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> totally. That's so cool that 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 is their common experience and they figure out everything else being like, oh, maybe my experience isn't common, but that's weird that you don't have that. Like, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. And do they, uh, I guess, kind of on that same tip, like, do they, um, have they seen either you or your wife play and like, how do they react to that? They have, they've seen us play on YouTube. Okay. They have not seen us live at all you know every year 
you know, because Michelle's from the Philadelphia area, so every year Michelle says she's going to bring them to This Is Hardcore, but she always, like, backs out right. of bringing them at the last minute. Sure. Well, that's... So, uh, you know, maybe the, maybe this year will be the year. Who knows? Sure. Well, that is a lot to throw a kids into. I mean, not like you are going to be there for the entire day, but, you know, a festival is definitely a different experience than, you know, hey, like, let's go watch Dad play in front of 200 people at, like, the local venue or whatever. Well, Philly's easy for her because her parents are there, so she could just sure. kind of bring the kids in and then be like, okay, See you later. We're yeah. going back to grandma's house now. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, uh, you know, that would work for her. Yeah. That, that makes total sense. <laughs> um, well, my, and it sounds like people like, do most people refer to you as score? Like that's what most people, or is that just like your students? Um, what, what do you mean? I'm just saying like, like do, cause you, you mentioned where you were saying like, you know, like the, the student who's like, Oh, Hey, Hey score. Like, you know, I, I know this oh, secret yeah. thing about you. So like, do your students know you by score? Does like kind of the collective? Oh yeah. Okay. Do like your friends they, call you score call as well? Score. And I think, you know, for years people for, especially like there was this guy that uh, used to book all the shows in Albany named Ted Etall. He's a great guy, but he used to think that that was my um, stage name. Really, I could have thought of a way cooler stage name if I was thinking about it, but he he was shocked when he found out that was my real last name, you know, which is always funny to me. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, you're like, no, I my last name is really Score. You're like, oh, I thought that was like, yeah, just a cool, you know, <laughs> you came up with that name on your own. And then other people think I just spell it that way. Like it's really spelt like some weird, like S K O R, like the candy bar way. And it's like, no, it's not spelled like that. Me and me and the dude from flock of seagulls. Right. We're both my score. <laughs> totally. Yeah. You know? I, I, I thought that was funny too. When I was, you know, doing some, uh, doing some research and I was like, Oh yes. Like anytime a person shares a name with someone else that like, you know, is kind of tangentially related to the line of work that you do. It's always like, Oh, that's funny. Like, like, I'm sure people are looking for you and they're like, who the hell is this flock of seagulls, dude? What the hell? <laughs> Who's this guy? <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we share a name. Yeah, that's funny. I, I hope one day you play a festival so you could just like, you know, r- randomly run into him and be like, hey, yeah, we're, 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 we've got the same name, bud. We, we might be related, buddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time, dude. I really appreciate you going through all this. And um, yeah, I, I, uh, if we are ever in the same room together, because I've, I've only seen you guys play once. It was actually on that Buried Alive tour. But um, yeah, if we're ever in the same room again, I'll d- make sure to introduce myself. Which uh, which venue was that at? Uh, it was in Southern California. I want to say, I think I saw you guys either in Santa Barbara or in, because I live in like Orange, the Orange County area. So um, I can't remember uh, exactly, but yeah, I definitely saw on that tour. What was the, the, the showcase? Yes, that's right. You know, the, was, yeah, in Corona, in Corona. Yep, that was, that was definitely where yeah. I saw you guys. Yep. That there. was with Trial. That was actually a really stacked bill because Trial played right yes you're right um, yeah trial did play that's right yeah 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 because yeah and then they played yeah they reached the sky yep exactly that's right yeah the showcase brandon from brandon from bleeding through book that show i don't know why i remember that show so well but i remember that show that's awesome yeah well i think because you know there was always that idea that when you came through southern california the shows were always going to be really, really good. And so I think that, you know, especially when you have a show where you're colliding with a bunch of different bands, it's like, oh man, this is going to be really good. And then you're like, oh yeah, this is really good. So yeah, that's awesome. 
I think that probably was the best California show, and that's probably what I really remember. <laughs> totally, totally. No, that makes perfect sense, yeah. so, But, yeah, thanks for your time, Mike. I really do appreciate it. Well, thank you. Yes, thank you, Mike Score, for hanging out on the podcast. Thank you to Alec as well, the publicist who helped put this together. It's always nice when you work with publicists who, like, know the show and know what you would like. They're not, you don't feel like they're just pitching you, you know, it's very nice. So thank you very much, Alec. And next week, like I said, is the seventh anniversary of this particular podcast. And when I say seventh, it's not precise, but it's like, you know, this is episode 364. So you take 52 times seven and boom, 364. That's what we got. And that's the math that I'm doing. Cause you know, there are occasions where I take a week off, but very rarely. So next week is John Dyer Baisley from Baroness. I'm so excited about this one because uh, I've been obsessed with Baroness ever since they they started putting out their EPs on, I don't, was it uh, Hyper Realist? I can't remember the name of the label. Uh, it's just escaping my mind right now, but um, I just love Baroness so much and saw them at the fest in like 2011, 12. It's been forever ago, but uh, just uh, I respect what he does. I respect what the band has gone through because they went through a horrific bus accident a couple of years ago. And um, yeah, you, many people would have just been like, well, that's kind of the end of that. And, um, you know, maybe John will continue to do the awesome artwork that he does from a painting perspective. But yeah, there's just so much great stuff. And John uh, hung out for a really intense conversation. It was like, I think I had like 45 or 50 minutes with him. But man, we just we like got into it. It was great. So that's what we got next week. And like I always tell you, please be safe, everybody. Special shout out to Drip Drop because they are the best way to battle dehydration. It is a nice powder that you pour into a drink and has three times the electrolytes and half the sugar of sports drinks. You can try it before a run, after a workout, or whenever you need that little boost to help you feel better. So go to dripdrop.com and use the code WORDS to get 20% off your purchase. That's dripdrop.com and use the code WORDS. I love this stuff. Now, for real. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to rewatch the series one episode at a time, and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, 
Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app.